Hello everybody, I'm Nick Atkin, Chief Exec here at Yorkshire Housing and you're listening to Raising the Roof podcast, the show that brings business leaders and industry experts together to unpick both the hot topics in housing and beyond. So today is the final episode in season two and it's quite timely as it brings together some of the themes from some of the other pods that we've covered in season two and it's entitled is the customer still king or queen joining me today then on our final episode are two guests who bring their own unique knowledge and perspective first up joe corson if you've heard joe speak before then you'll know she is absolutely passionate about the vital importance of customer service both for organizations but also as a contributor to the wider uk economy Joe heads up the Institute of Customer Service and so is really well placed to explain the link between customer service strategies and actually what happens on the ground in terms of organisational performance. Now, you know we like to do a bit of digging on this podcast, so away from work, Joe's a really keen walker and traveller and she has travelled all over the globe, so I can't even list all the places she's been to. It's probably easy to say where she hasn't been. But Joe, just a quick one from you. What's your favourite place? Where would you recommend listeners to go to in the world? What's the best place you've been to and why? Well, first and foremost, Nick, thank you so much for that warm welcome and thank you for allowing me to be on your prestigious podcast. Gosh, how many different places. I have just come back from Japan, interestingly, and that was very interesting from a service perspective, actually, in terms of the, the focus that they put on that. Beautifully clean country, very well organised. Japan, definitely very beautiful. And also the other place I would always recommend is South America. Very vibrant, very lively, lots of different traditions, as well as a beautiful country. God, there's so much of the world, isn't there? It's such a beautiful, beautiful place. There is, Joe, but I'm shocked that you didn't say Yorkshire, but I can let you off on this occasion for that one. And of it goes course... without saying, Nick. It goes without saying. <laughs> and of course, Japan is... Japan is the place, I believe, in the in the world where tipping is seen as an insult. So that really appeals to my Yorkshire roots. It means that I'm actually just paying for, for what's on the bill, so even better. So also today, I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined by Richard Beavers. Richard is the Director of Customer Plus, and they work with organisations, again, to help them understand how improving customer experience creates a happier, more efficient working environment but also, again, playing to my Yorkshire roots, improves the bottom financial line. So what's not to like about that? Happy customers, happy colleagues, and more money in the bank. So works for me. Richard has got bags of experience. He's, he's run and advised and transformed a whole range of businesses, such as Ford, a TUC, and the Ministry of Defence. But he's also a keen rugby player, and he is a Guinness World Record holder for playing in the longest ever rugby match at 31 and a half hours. So there's our guests. So let's let's get into the into the issues. And let's have a, a first of all a quick sort of look back to that memory of do you remember something called COVID and, and lockdowns? Well, really, I think we're still the impact of COVID is still washing through in terms of our lives, both in terms of work, but also what's happening around us in our home lives. And there was a time, I think, when all of us thought that the whole lockdown experience would transform the service offer and make businesses appreciate their customers more. 
But I suppose, you know, my experience certainly over the last sort of few months has been that probably the opposite has happened. And so really, I want to kick off by asking you both, is customer service getting worse? And if so, what's your take on why that might be? So let me come to you first, Richard. I'm not sure it's getting notably worse, but I don't think it's, it's improving. I think it's bumping along. And, and the reasons for that, I, th- I think that it's back, back to this equation that you spoke about earlier about happy people, happy customers, happy performance, which is a you know, great simplification. A lot of companies don't really look after their people terribly well. And I, I don't think they particularly get the, the culture of customer service. So I don't, I, don't think it's got, I don't think it's really getting worse, but I don't think they're making any step improvements. I think the organizations that recognize the power of that equation we spoke about, kind of on it, really getting pretty good at it. And I think there's a whole, whole bunch of companies that really don't get it. So I think we're kind of polarizing, really. There's companies that are really good at the customer culture driving forward, and inevitably the others are, are going backwards. So I think this leads to a, a, an inconsistency. In a day or in a week, you can get some fabulous service and you can get some dreadful service. So I think it is bumping along, and it, it's really down to leadership and culture. Those with strong leaders who get this uh, make it happen. Others who think, well, rather expensive, this investment in great service, isn't it? And they, they don't get the, uh, the business case. So I think to summarise, it's, it's just bumping along. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a great summary, really, of certainly my own personal experience. Interestingly, in terms of what you said as well about leadership, I, went, I was out clothes shopping, which is a rare event because I do like just doing it all on the internet. And I walked into a shop that I wouldn't normally walk into. So it was a, it was a sole trader. And the reason I walked in interested was because he had two bulldogs sat in the in the in the entrance, and I thought, how cute that is! How different that is. Walked in, fantastic personalised service. Didn't try to sell me stuff, told me stuff that didn't suit me, and also sort of you know reassured me when I was perhaps in two miles to where the stuff did. And I came out and I just thought that was amazing. That was really different. But actually, when I unpacked it, I, I actually thought, well. That should just be the basics, really, of what a, a good service offer is. So, yeah, I absolutely get, get what you say, Richard. I've a great, great phrase about pumping along. Joe, what about you? What are you seeing? Do you, do you think things have got better, worse, stayed around the same? I would agree with, not surprisingly, much of what Richard has said, but just a couple of points maybe to add to. I don't want to build on this point about polarisation. In my time in work, I've never seen quite such a polarised situation. And I think what we're having or what we're seeing is on the back of, and it's not just COVID, it's on the back of Brexit, COVID, cost of living, you know, lots, swathes of kind of issues and challenges. For some organisations, they are really struggling to get out of crisis management. And as a consequence of that, it feels not effective often in terms of dealing that and we are definitely seeing polarization so overall my argument would be actually that i think customer service is getting worse overall right but i think what we're seeing is some really great and i'd agree with you nick your example and i'd also richard i agree with you there are some really shining lights there are some organizations that really get this and they're really pulling away from the pack yeah but there are an awful lot of organizations that still have a lot to do and that's not, you know, attacking them. I think it's the reality of where we are in terms of society. But it does bother me, that particular issue. We have got to get on top of short-termism because we know that where organisations, you know, all my research, you said about this, 
about the ROI, Nick. All my research shows organizations that focus on customer experience over the longer term, where they have above average customer satisfaction, they will have much better financial returns, much yeah. better higher levels of productivity, much greater loyalty to that link between employee engagement. So I think we're at a really important inflection point and we need to move ourselves from being very short term as a, as a country to really thinking how we can power through and using the service agenda. We have something called the service nation, you know, using the service agenda as a way of getting ourselves through this bumpy road, which is where we are at the moment. Can I ask a bit of a follow-up there, Joe, to you? Because I think my other re reflection is that customers also seem to be getting more intolerant and, and angrier. And some of the things I hear and see, I find really quite shocking. Yeah. And, and increasingly, we're hearing of, of examples where they're, they're, they're even taking out their frustrations on the people who are there to, to actually try and help them. Now, I know, I know your organisation, the CSI, have, have launched the Service With Respect campaign. Just give us a little bit more info on that one. And you're absolutely right. So just very quickly, we launched the campaign actually halfway through COVID because what we were right. seeing was a rise in hostility and abusive behaviour of customers across a whole range of different industry sectors. So we weren't just seeing this in retail or hospitality. We were seeing it in the guys that work in contact centres, the guys that dig up the roads, you know, utilities across the whole piece. And there were three parts to the, the campaign, the service with respect campaign. One was about trying to get you and I as consumers to maybe pause and think before we, you know, jump you know, or become too aggressive too quickly or become aggressive full stop. Secondly, to get organisations to take this seriously, Nick, you know, and to train yeah. their people, but also report it and have a zero tolerance towards it. And then finally, for a change in the law that recognises, you know, this as a standalone offence. Now, where we've got to since last June is I'm pleased to say that actually the, the law has changed. So now abusive behaviour towards anyone in a public facing role or a customer facing role can be and would be treated as an aggravated offence. And what that means is that you could have a judicial sentence attached to that. Now, none of us want to send more people to prison, but I think it's about the importance about recognising this important group of people and making sure that we protect them, Nick, sufficiently. Now, roll on, 12 months later, almost. We've just rerun the, the stats, and I'm just going to give you some fairly scary stats here. So 42% of people in the last six months have experienced some form of hostility. Wow. Mostly verbal, mostly verbal, but that's still not good enough. But 26% yeah. are experiencing physical. Right? Wow. So there's definitely, definitely a, a rise in this. And what the really bad side of this is, Nick, is that over 40% of people as a result of that are thinking about whether they want to continue working in the profession. So this really matters. And what you've got, I think, is, you know, we are frustrated as a nation there's a lot of, of stuff that we are having to deal with as customers as consumers and our ability to navigate that is really really important but nothing excuses us being abusive towards the people that are trying to help us you know, yeah. so there's, there's something there for me about how we're really driving that and if anyone wants to know nick more about and thank you for mentioning the service with respect campaign go to our website sign up we've got over 250 organizations signed up that support it and there's some good top tips around how you can address that and try and support that a bit more that's just a shocking set of statistics and that whole piece that you said about us all needing to stop and think before perhaps we mm. build no miles or act is is a good one so the reason that we've 
picked this topic for, for the last of season two, I suppose, is to reflect some of the things that we've been discussing over, over the last few months, but also, I suppose the housing sector has been on a bit of a journey as well. I think there have been some difficult examples that have been highlighted around where you know the housing sector has perhaps not delivered the standard of service consistently that our customers rightly should expect from us. So just really, when it, when it comes to customer service, what, what do you think the housing world can learn from other sectors? You know, for example, what, what are the best examples of, of customer service that you've personally come across? And I'll come back to Richard. Yeah, I think this is quite a, a personal thing. I think the banking world is very interesting. I think we've got four big banks. Yeah. It may interest you to know that you're more likely to divorce your partner than, than leave your bank. <laughs> then that's you know that's a statistic that's that's true, and I think the big four have really taken advantage of this stickiness over the years, and I think the, the challenger banks are, are tremendous. And one, I, I've tried a few of them, or worked with a few of them. Like Starling really yeah. stands out to me. You don't have the the branch contact, but everything online and by telephone is just so smooth, so helpful. Insurance world, LV is pretty impressive because they're very competitive, but their staff are superb, good systems. Going to more every day and Pret-a-Manger, which is fairly upmarket sandwich bar, there's, there's hundreds of them around the place. And I think they are fantastic. And quite interestingly, what they do is you don't get a job there until you, you, you work there two or three days. And then colleagues say, is this person one of us? Are they, are they up to it? I think that's pretty good. My own solicitor, you know, you mentioned this small business up in Manchester. And I think if you're a small business, it's it's easier because you've got, you, you are the culture, you're delivering the culture. It's so easy to see everybody. But solicitors get a bad rap. And I, I just like my solicitor because this model I would sort of introduce to you, it's a function of what you do and how you do it. And I've never known anyone who bought a house and had it repossessed because the solicitor messed up. There are very, very few people who are happy with their solicitor. Why is that? Because they don't get back to you. You're chasing them up. The fees aren't well explained. So there's kind of this what and how model. And I think my solicitor, it's a medium size of about 50 people, but they are they're really, really good at it. It's only what they do, being good legal solicitors, but they are really, really good on the service side of, of getting back to you, explaining things, being transparent. So there's a few, there's a few. And any overriding theme, Richard, from those that you, you've seen that you think housing could apply more effectively? I think it's, I think Starling definitely systems and processes because how, most housing organisations are now at scale, and I think there's they've got a lot of catching up to do on tech. I have a sort of knowledge of the housing management systems, and, and they're pretty shocking, really. And those are those sort of the classic, big, probably a bit like banking, big four or big five. They're, they're all pretty poor. So I think we're reinventing the automation of social housing is a massive lesson. So that, that's got to be done. I think we've got to link back to what we said earlier about the sort of this abuse issue. Because one of the things that worries me a little bit about that is that sometimes people are really wound up by poor service. And I think mm -hmm. you know, there's a really slow answering, often really slow answer time on the phone. Your house is not... It's not like a sandwich. It, it's extremely important to you. People are going to get extremely emotional about it. And I think sometimes we can drive people to difficult situations. And I, and I just really like to think that people on the front line in the housing world are really well trained in handling stress. I do quite a lot of work with social housing organisations on dealing with tricky situations on the front line.
that's important that we not only prevent stress by having great systems, but also if stress comes, we show empathy and we, we can diffuse it. Because yeah. it's usually not personal. It is, you know, this, this violence thing, obviously, we can't, we can't have truck with that. But we just have to be cautious that we don't confuse stress and overreaction with, with abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what about yourself, Joe? So same sort of thing, you know, what, what, are the, what are the leading lights for you in terms of delivery of customer service? Yeah, absolutely. And I will answer that. But I do agree, Richard, about de-escalation. Yeah. Uh, and also there is a responsibility you know we talked about how service got worse there is a responsibility for organizations to deliver against their service promise yeah. i think it, the line is when people become really abusive but i think that the reality is is you need to de-escalate some of those issues and actually deliver on your promises so who's good who's good at delivering on their promises so you know we do the uk customer satisfaction index every year or twice a year actually that will track that what i find interesting is that if i look at the consistency there are a number of organizations that are consistently up there retail always does well you know there are some really good examples of retail and what can you learn from that it's very fast-paced very responsive good mix of of digital and human intervention really understanding where to add value through the human intervention. I mean, we haven't really got onto AI, but I mean, obviously, clearly, I don't get any conversation at the moment without talking about AI. I think it's probably the hottest topic in time. Yeah. But, you know, how we deploy tech, how we deploy things like AI. And one plea I do have is to get people to move away from the idea that AI will remove jobs. Yes, it will. But actually, it removes processing jobs which should enable those of us in customer service to be able to do even better jobs because it should run alongside and really enhance what we are brilliant at. So organisations that do things well, First Direct are always up there, yeah. uh, you know, as an organisation. So again, back to the banking, Starling, yeah, I'd agree, really interesting organisation. Some traditionals too, you know, and, and brands that are reinventing itself, Marks and Spencers, gone through a bit of a revival in terms yeah. of, but what are they doing? They're really understanding their customer. Yeah. They're really understanding that blend between digital and human. And they deliver on their promise. And they train their staff. You mentioned right at the beginning, Nick, about what it felt like to go in. It was a bit quirky. It was a bit different into that store. Yeah, yeah. You know, it has personality. I think we need to think about that. What's the purpose of our organizations? Really driving that purpose. Purpose-led organizations that are good functionally but also have strong ethics, care about the consumer, demonstrate that you care about it, are going to be the winners going forward. And I think some of those softer areas are becoming more important in the fight, I guess, for our pound, but also for brand reputation, which is another topic in itself, but really important in terms of, of you know, how well we're living up against our purposes and doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I absolutely echo and support the you know the comment you made about First Direct. I've banked with them for 26 years. And I have never in that entire time had one negative experience. And you just think, you know, for an organisation that makes money out of holding my money, you know, that's quite an achievement, I think. I think the other one that I, that I always come across, and I've tried to sort of replicate some of the principles in Yorkshire Housing, is Apple. And I just think the simplicity and... And the way that you're made to feel, both in terms of their digital offering, but also when you're in store, I think is, again, is second to none. Really great service. So I want to 
dip into the housing world next and I want to sort of touch on something which will light the blue touch paper of housing Twitter accounts and really it's about terminology but terminology in housing does seem to to really get people quite excited and I suppose is there a difference between customers and tenants should the sector ditch the word tenant and landlord would that improve services or do words not matter? Is it actions? So, Joe, I'm going to come back to you first on this. So I think the bottom line is actions matter more than words, definitely. So how you choose to treat your customers. You know, I've been in situations, I'm sure we all have, where the customer prefers to be called a tenant. And I've actually had some of that feedback about don't call me a customer, I'm a tenant because of this. So I think it's about listening to your customers. And there's a difference between having a approach which is very customer centric. So whether you're talking to a tenant, whether you're talking to a citizen, whether you're talking to a transport, you know, someone in transport, or, you know, passenger, sorry, on a train, you know, it's about the mindset that you are deploying. And the mindset needs to be, I'm in active listening mode. I'm trying to resolve the issue, challenge or problem that there's actually got. I'm understanding the needs of you as an individual and how that's playing against. Personally, I think the term customer is therefore very relevant. But, you know, what I would say is ask your customers what they prefer to be called. You know, it's a bit like when somebody writes to me and decides that they're going to be nice and chummy and chally and all the rest of it. Maybe actually you want to ask me what I'd like to be called before you enter into that. So slightly different kind of approach to it. I think you should apply that. I think they are customers, but I have certainly been in situations where people say, I don't see myself as a customer. I see myself as a tenant. And that brings different responsibilities. So let's be mindful of what our customer wants in terms of that. Great answer. So thanks, Joe. Richard, I know you've balanced on this tightrope in terms of some of the housing organisations that you've worked with. So what's your take on this one? Yeah, I I think I'll go with what Joe said about the different different industries tend to have different language, which does matter because you go to hospital, you're a patient, aren't you? But you definitely want to be treated as though you are a customer and on all the rights and responsibilities that go with that. So you you have some degree of choice you are respected, you're treated with dignity. You can't dismiss this as a, as a, as a nonsense. It, it, it's absolutely vital that we get language right. I think there's a what we might call the micro level where you pick up cues from people, don't you, about how, how they are. But in the conversation, probably Nick or Mr. Atkins better than, than tenant or customer. <laughs> but then you've got the sort of macro level where you're communicating through things like newsletters and emails and so on. And it, it might be better to avoid the subject and come up with a completely new word, like guests or something. Like I don't know whether that's too twee. Possibly the subject of research. But it's going to be a Brexit, isn't it? 50% of people are going to say customer. <laughs> 50 people are going to say tenant. But all I would say, it's, it's something to, to use sensitively. But the, the fundamental thing is we have to have a customer focused culture Absolutely. and it doesn't matter whether inside the organization we we are calling it a tenant focused culture or a customer focused culture but everyone gets it but i'm not sure about these kind of edicts where we say right drop the word tenant everyone must be called a customer i know that happens in some some social housing organizations and i'm not sure that's a good thing i think people you know people should flex a little bit between the two but ultimately 
people have to be treated as customers. And one of the interesting things is, and I'm going back to my first introduction to social housing in the late 90s, the word that was really missing from people's lives, and this was before decent homes and when actually it was a struggle to fill a lot of primarily council housing slots at that time. The thing that people wanted most was dignity. Treating people with dignity is the most important thing and maybe the, the language you use. As long as you're behaving with dignity, then it becomes less relevant. Absolutely. Absolutely spot on. So thanks thanks both of you for that. I'm going to move us across to our last sort of subject area, which is around the balance between in-person and digital. So in housing terms, we, we still operate a, a very traditional service that, if I'm being honest, if you speak to our customers, that it doesn't recognise that for many of them, we're just a hygiene factor. In other words, they just want us to do something when they need us to do it and get out of the way the rest of the time. So I'm just interested, really, what, what do you see as being the role for, for technology in improving customer service and also any any pitfalls that we need to be wary of? Joe, I'll come to you if I can on this one. Absolutely. So very, very easy to say, very difficult to get right, Nick. <laughs> That's the first bit. I think we're talking about a blended approach. So I will never see a future where the human being is not going to be important as part of the service experience. So let's just get that up front. But I think, you know, and it's moving so fast, isn't it? I mean, it seems like eternity since ChatGBT came out in November. Think about the speed that we're actually seeing in terms of deployment. So I think it is blended. It's about understanding your customer journey. It's understanding your customer and understanding which bits Actually, I would much rather have it in an automated, as long as it works and it's got to work, and which bits actually I need a human intervention over. And then secondly, what I would say about that is as AI develops, you know, some of the most interesting bits about AI is not about the removal of human beings from the process. It's about being able to use AI to understand what those big issues and challenges really are. So looking for words you know, in terms of that conversation, really understanding so that it can start to be more preventative and to use that data. So it's how you use the data that sits behind that in order to be able to improve that customer experience. So I think the future will be a blend. Uh, We're going to get some of these things wrong. We're on the eve of many new uh, approaches, but it certainly isn't one size fits all. And I think we need to experiment, fail fast with some of those things and move on in terms of how we develop that. But the human being has an even better job and the profession has a great future in my mind. Are you worried by AI or do you see it as something that will complement the the customer service offer? Big question. The things that worry me about AI is about the deployment of it, the ethical approach to it. Just because we can, should we? Understanding, you know, the, the mammoth and the beast and what we're unleashing and what we're doing with it, let alone intellectual property rights, all of those things. I think there's some big questions we should be asking ourselves in how we're deploying AI and the purpose of it. In terms of replacing traditional contact centres, no. Future has moved on. I think a lot of organisations have already done that. More about trying to use AI to enhance that customer experience, not diminish it. Richard, same question for you, really. What's what's the role for tech in improving customer services and, and any pitfalls we need to be wary of? Well, the potential is absolutely vast here. And I sort of refer back to my previous answer that 
the housing industry is not being served by these sort of big four or five legacy yeah. systems. Yeah. I, I won't name them to embarrass them, but I think we we all know who they are. And I think I don't think they've been very customer focused. I think the housing organisations have it's been a big barrier to service actually. But I think what is happening is there's a new breed of software capability coming along. Some big CRM applications which are really making agility possible. Huge potential to get this right. And I think that the speed and cost of these applications is really coming down. And they can produce this magic formula of improving customer experience for all sorts of reasons. You know, self-serve, for example, availability of answers pretty quickly, which can be supplemented by the GPT application so that we can interrogate through that. At the back end, if something's missing, you know, your developers Nick, can go in and use chat GPT to quickly patch up yeah. a particular inquiry in your uh, dashboard and so on. So the cost is coming down. So you're going to get this magical formula of improving customer experience and decreasing costs. So the, the, the first thing to do, you've got to start with the customer journey. Uh, and too often people see tech as a panacea that may be impressed by a sales presentation. And of course, the reality isn't like that. It's, it's usually a lot of pain in transforming digital processes. It's a huge potential. But I think the way to go is to start with the customer journey, then develop the business process, and then apply technology. Definitely agility. Instead of using a, a monolithic housing management system for everything, you might use you know, half a dozen applications. And I'd say I'm avoiding naming brand names. There's some really good ones out there, which include a, a GPT function. And kind of can this print to waterfall project, you know, be agile, as Joe said, be prepared to fail fast. But you, you've also got to stick with it. You, you've got to have the C-suite approval of all these things, but it really is a change in mindset. So just employ some really, really good tech people. Let them get on with it with the, you know, start with the customer journey, then improve business processes, then then add your tech on at the end. But, yeah, go for small agile systems, not the, not the monolithic systems. How long has Homo sapiens been on Earth, you know, intelligent man slash woman? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, uh, 4,000 years, I'll take it. Yeah, well, 300,000 years. So if wow. we, 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 let's make that into a 24-hour clock. So this time yesterday was 300,000 years ago. When, when was the Industrial Revolution on my clock? Well, it was in the last, you know, within the last five, ten minutes. When was the Tinternet, you know, a few seconds ago? So what you've just got to be aware of is that people with certain human givens, they like, they like connection, they like some kind of status, they like to believe they, they have a place in the world and they make a contribution to the world. And what you have to avoid with this tech is, is this idea of dehumanizing people. Yeah. So that's where everybody, but just let's also remember that, I don't know what number is, 15, 20% of people are just not going to get it because they were born, you know, born well before Google, just foreign to them. Tech must not take away humanity, and it, it is important to have a blend. Absolutely. And I, and I love it when I get asked a question, Richard, which I, I get so dramatically wrong as well. So thanks for that. Great way to, to wrap things up. So we are at the uh, finishing line. So just before we wave the checkered flag, I want to get to the quick fire question. So this time round, several pieces of research have unsurprisingly found that the Yorkshire accent was the UK's best for customer service. So in one word, what do you think Richard, is the most important aspect of customer service? Well, I'm fellow Yorkshireman, Nick, so I've got some skin in this game. I think it, we have to go back from delivering service on the front line and we have to go up uh, 
in the organisation or down into the organisation, and it, it has to be culture. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Joe, same question to you. Integrity and doing the right thing. Fantastic. Thank you. I, I love the way both of you are completely and utterly didn't follow the rules of the question. Great, great way to end things. So let me let me summarise some of the key takeaways that I've got from this. I think generally there's a view that customer service has got worse, but there are some real notable exceptions. Those shocking stats, Joe, that you shared around the fact that your surveys highlighted how 75% of, of people in customer service roles have experienced some form of verbal abuse and and even worse, 25% have, have experienced some element of physical abuse. So that whole thing about us all needing to stop and think and treat people with dignity, really, really key that, that we all probably go away from this and remember that. Also, the need for us to reflect on what the ingredients are that make us feel valued as a customer in our day-to-day -day lives. And also the point that you both made around the fact that tech is an enabler, it's not the panacea. And we are humans and we've been around, as Richard has reminded me, for 300,000 years rather than the 4,000 that I incorrectly guessed at. And the final one, which I absolutely love, is that you're more likely to divorce your partner than leave your bank. Well, I think that's a great last takeaway. So have a look at those banking switches, all of you. But for now, it's time to close the door on not only this episode, but also season two. A massive thank you to Joe and Richard for what has been a fab way to, to wrap up season two. Also to all our guests who've helped to make season two a huge success. So much so that I'm absolutely delighted and chuffed and so proud that we're now in the top 25% of all podcast downloads. So an equally huge thank you to, to all of you for, for listening and tuning in. In breaking news, it doesn't stop here. We're coming back even bigger and better later this year with season three. Please remember all of our previous episodes from both season two and also season one are available via your usual podcast providers and don't forget to hit that follow button to make sure you don't miss a thing thanks again see you all again real soon